Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode five of Performing the Arts of Season Five. So, I mean, not, I mean, season four. No, actually, yeah, so it is season five. Oh my God. Uh, <laughs> I, the voice you're hearing right now is uh, my, uh, my guest of today, uh, Christopher Piper. He's a musician in, music, uh, in New York City. Uh, he's also a former teacher of mine at BMCC. He was my audio. I mean, well, sound practicing class, but it was essentially an audio class. So just to uh, get the idea of how to work uh, as an audio engineer, especially in theater, which was uh, fun to do, especially with the, uh, you know, uh, it being a CUNY student and then suddenly seeing uh, the different type of, uh, whatchamacallit, uh, audio uh, soundboards uh, other colleges had. Uh, so, so whenever I see a soundboard, I'm always getting a little, like a little uh, panic attack of "oh crap, do not mess up" because it's yeah, like, I'm, I'm going to test you on this, by the way. <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> like it's like the same thing with it's like the same thing with a uh, light board. It's like people could do it. The same thing with an audio board, but the moment I see an audio board, I'm like, it, it's like it, as long as the audio cues are already perfect and everything all i just gotta do is just hit that little red button that just says go and hopefully everything was going to uh all that stuff with uh, audio yeah, I mean, as long as it's programmed properly like hitting the go button is is all you need to do when you're aboard up yeah i i believe that's what that's also what you've said to our class uh, every now and then it's like as long as you hit that go up it's like i mean uh, the go button but Yes, uh, as I mentioned, Christopher is a musician. Uh, I want to say he's been maybe more than 10 years or maybe 15 years or something Sounds like, like forever. <laughs> I'm yeah, a lot forever. older than you. So yeah, yeah I'd say um, probably since I was like a teenager, like 15, which was a long time ago. I'll put it that way. So a couple uh, decades at least. Yeah, well, uh, when I when I first had him for, as a teacher, I figured, oh, he must have been uh, like maybe for the past few years or something like that. But as I got to know him for the past more, and like since like graduating from BMCC, I was like, it's weird to know sometimes like, oh, uh, your professors have like outside life, but it's not like directly <laughs> influencing the area of fields of what they do. But yeah, how, uh, so my first question is pretty straightforward. How did you get into music? Oh, I mean, as, as a kid, you know, I mean, my, my goal was to be a rock star. And it's kind of what I still aspire to do as an adult. Um, it's sometimes been my full-time job. I've toured all over Europe and all over North America. Um, and, you know, sometimes it's not my full-time job. Thus, my teaching at BMCC, um, those of you who don't know, that's uh, Borough of Manhattan Community College in New York City. It's a CUNY school. Um, so I taught a class there in audio production and sound design, of which um, Brian was a part one semester. Um, I'm also a theatrical sound designer, so um, that was not on my radar early on. So as, as a kid, um, you know, I was playing in bars when I was 16 years old, um, like Harley Rider bars, pretty rough places. But, you know, as long as we were playing music they liked and providing the entertainment, we were cool and safe and it was a really good way to cut my teeth and then as soon as I graduated high school I moved to New York City and that was oh in the late 80s maybe before you were born Brian <laughs> and well, uh, I, was born, I was born in the late 80s so it's like yeah so I mean you you know I, I got there probably around the same time you did and um, 
you know, I've been doing it ever since. Um, and as far as being a sound designer, I, I went to college finally when I was 26 and um, knew I wanted to study performing arts. Hmm. And I knew it wouldn't be music exclusively because I was already a musician. So um, theater made the most sense. And so I, I've had a career in both, you know, realms, both as a musician, as a theatrical sound designer, um, you know, being a performer, being one who works in support of performers. So it's it's really a yeah. nice balance. Theater and music has always been like hand in hand because, you know, there's musical theater, but there's also regular theater and the regular theater has sound cues, all that stuff. Even if it's a sound cue, like say, oh, it's, you know, it's uh, cars passing, you know, two people are sitting in a cafe and all you just hear is cars in the background just passing by. You need to have at least some sound guy to go, okay, I just need to go, uh, let me just go to the free sound website so you get some, or let me just go and stand by the uh, the highway and just record, you know, sound. Okay. Yeah. Well, see, I, I prefer that. I mean, as often as possible, I like to create my own sound effects. You know, I mean, obviously there's some sound effects that you can't easily access. And so you mentioned freesound.org, which is a great source yeah. um, of sound effects. And I contribute to that too. Um, I'm a contributing member, but it's people from all over the world, um, sound designers, artists, um, sound artists, musicians, and I, I believe it's curated by a university in Barcelona, but the website's totally in English, so um, it's very easy to navigate, and it's, if, if I'm not recording sound cues myself for a project, freesound.org is usually the first yeah, place I stop, because I, I'm, I'm more prone to find it there, and as the name implies, it's free, yeah. um, so you can't beat that if it's especially when it's music too it's like you don't have to worry about anything else it's like a, it's like you want to you, you know you want to do a space uh not well if you want to do like a sci-fi theater but you don't want to use something that's very stereotypical sound blastery whereas it's like oh the character has like a laser gun so and you think of you know laser guns so it's like you go to freesound.org and you just scroll through the type of like laser sounds and maybe even mix mash of like two different clips and then essentially go into a audio uh an you know audio editing software and then mm -hmm. essentially here are two sound clips i want let me see if i could actually essentially make my own version of a like a of a laser pistol or something like that without having it sound like star wars or sure, star sure. yeah so it definitely feels a lot more fun and that was essentially uh the notion of when you were teaching the the sound program class, which was essentially, you know, have fun essentially researching the type of uh, different type of uh, sounds, you know, uh, the, 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 the play that we did, you know, uh, measure for measure, it was essentially a post apocalyptic uh, version of the tale. Mm -hmm. So how would, you know, and you actually had a great, you know, eye of essentially telling the story of like the post apocalyptic feel of like, how do we show you know, well, how do we, yeah, how do we hear the cues of essentially what a post-apocalyptic thing would be? It's like, and a lot of the sound cues that we did were pretty interesting because, you know, uh, it was also partly a musical too, which was interesting to say at least. And yeah, <laughs> and a lot of it, a lot of the sound cues for that music actually came from like chains just being slapped around or maybe it was chains being slapped. I don't remember offhand, but 
it yeah, I mean, you, you can use, I mean, for beats, you know, I mean, if you say you want the, like, what would be a snare drum, like a boom, crack, boom, crack. I mean, you can use the, like, drop chains and record that with a microphone. And that can be, like, your snare or your, you know, um, even beat um, sounds. And then the one beat, like, the, what would be the kick drum, you could use, oh, say, like a garbage can, an empty beat. Yeah and with a baseball bat or something and so it, it, it adds a different element and you can you can use those as samples and then program them as drums I, I believe that show in particular um we used a student who was was yeah. very heavy into the composing and i like to do that as often as possible like when i design in an academic environment at least you know like like use the strengths of of students that i have you know in my class and so that that was a good collaborative semester um you know many of the bmcc shows and you know shows i do regionally and off broadway you know i'll compose original music and, and usually work with you know a collaborator um in a real recording studio to do that um aspect of it you know the music but yeah i mean any anything can be a musical instrument really i mean that's the that's the point now i i will get into uh you teaching a little later but you mentioned before that you played in like rowdy in well not rowdy bar but you know essentially uh harley like harley davidson bars where it's just like when they essentially like biker bars or when just like or were they oh, just yeah. oh, okay yeah, total uh, like like indiana biker bars i mean now, pretty, whatever, rough, pretty rough people whenever i think of biker bars i just imagine it's like i, I sure see the scene where it's like a people herman's big adventure yeah, exactly like, <laughs> well, so it's like whenever you perform a, a place or, you know, Blue Rouge Brothers, where it's like they don't like it's maybe they have a little wire fence or something like that, <laughs> like Roadhouse or something like that. But when you were performing in, in places like that, did you at all think it's like, wow, they, like Hollywood actually had it right and they, you know, they actually had an idea of what these bars look like and how they actually operate? Because I, I don't doubt that it's like you're playing in a, you're playing, you know, you're playing music and then five seconds later as you're playing music someone just punches out another person just for, for sitting in their seat so yeah. it's like you know it's weird like i've never witnessed any kind of like brawls in a bar like that in that situation um and i i think you know i mean obviously <laughs> like the, the bars you mentioned like the peewee herman movie and um Blues Blues Brothers. Brothers. um you know i mean that, that's that's like comedy you know i mean I, I i don't know that places like that actually exist but i mean there's the a feeling about it that's accurate it's not a there's not a literal yeah you know, chicken wire <laughs> fence in front of you um and you're not made to dance tequila and you know platform shoes on the bar um to prevent <laughs> you know getting your butt thrown out but uh you know, there there is a feeling of danger sometimes in those places, and, and even beyond that, like I've played all over Europe, and um, mostly, I mean, I love playing Europe. Also, I'll yeah. say that much. I mean, more so than here. And I've had some weird experiences in both Europe and the States, as far as kind of hostile crowds. I mean, just um, I was in Germany, and I was I went out to the parking lot in between sets, and I was surrounded by a bunch of like like German, you know, leftists. And and they were calling me, you know, oh, you capitalist pig. And I'm thinking, like, I'm in a punk band. Like, I'm a capitalist pig. <laughs> you know, like, oh, you American capitalist pig. And I'm like, I'm just a punk musician. Like, what, what, <laughs> you know? And then so it was that kind of weird experience. And, and of course, in the South, in the United States, I've had some yeah, uh, 
you know, as soon as they find out you're from New York, <laughs> you know, you're in trouble um, sometimes. But uh, you know, it, it, it's it's been it's what I do. It's what I love to do. And even the scary stuff. I mean, it, it makes for good stories typically, <laughs> if nothing else. Yeah. So. Yeah, I'm actually thinking of a, of a horror movie that kind of like that starts with the idea of a punk band and the punk band essentially uh, it, it's a horror movie. It's a great horror movie called Green Room. And it's basically about a, a punk band who goes to, you know, tour to tour or all that stuff. And they actually have to stop at a that will not dive bar, but it's like a biker bar. But the biker bar is actually ran, you know, run by neo-Nazis. So their <laughs> genius thing essentially is to the first song they decide to do is, you know, Nazi, uh, Nazi punks F off. And of course, right, right. so they do that. <laughs> and also, you, know, you just imagine like the snowball effect of singing a song called Nazi punks F off. And then suddenly there's a snowball effect of more and more things. Of course, you know, it, it's not the song that, you know, that, that makes it to trouble. It's something that they witnessed that makes it to trouble. So, you know, naturally, but it's just the idea of, the song being a catalyst or something like that. So yeah, I definitely feel, I mean, I definitely do understand that even if you're say in somewhere in like maybe uh, France or Spain or something like that, or even in the Germany, and there are people who maybe don't, maybe, you know, people who might not understand what type of style of music you're playing. So they probably will come up to the next, like be very, uh, I don't want to say like threatening, but very, engaging with you that feels like <laughs> yeah, you know, it's like so yeah it, it you know it's like the same thing when you know you're playing the same thing when you're uh the same thing when you're acting well the same thing when you're an actor and you feel like you're in an area that you don't really know so it's like how will these people understand the type of acting that i do which is a sense like like you just mentioned before uh, you know, you play down south, so I assume, you know, people who act, you know, in down south have a much more of a distinct style of acting as opposed to people who studied up, you know, in the east, you know, Upper East Coast, you know, like New York, Jersey, uh, Man you know, Massachusetts, all that stuff, as yeah, opposed to, yeah. say, so it, it definitely feels like when there's a, a class of styles, especially if it's like a, a, a conflict of styles, there's definitely something that always feels you know not only organic but also something that's also real because you're not only playing something that you are enjoying but you also probably just uh, you're also uh striking the nerve uh, yeah striking the nerve of some people and when you yeah, strike well, nerve, yeah, yeah i mean you strike it's, nerve, you're like, yeah, yeah some I'm music is supposed to be antagonistic too i mean punk rock yeah. you know i mean I, I don't really like to get in people's faces and, and be a yeah. jerk. You know, I mean, it's like I'm more in it for the music and the fun, yeah. you know, but I've had people, you know, throw bottle caps at the stage. And, you know, I mean, that's just to me, that's annoying. Like, I, that's not fun for me. Or people jump up on stage and they want to, like, you know, kick in the kick drum or grab the drummer sticks and bash stuff, you know, random. I mean, that that's, you know, I mean, that might be punk rock to some people, but that's not the kind of stuff that I'm into. Um, but yeah, regarding North and South, I mean, you know, there, there are differences, but I mean, like the cities there, I've, I've played Austin, New Orleans, Savannah, Atlanta, you know, college towns like, uh, 
oh in georgia um that's escaping me small town in georgia famous for launching a lot of bands including the b-52s why can't i think of it um and somebody's gonna watch this and be like this guy is a jerk um not savannah right not savannah oh i love savannah um okay aside from like Atlanta and savannah that's like the that's like the only georgia uh places in georgia that i know which is and again they're probably this host like how hope you know how dare this host don't know no, all this stuff about georgia. yeah well, Ath- athens georgia um i was thinking of greece there for a second so um yeah athens georgia college town that's a great place i mean there's some really good what i would call oases of culture <laughs> in the south you know but sometimes um you're in a small town and uh, it, it's weird like i was in a band with um, a female lead singer and she liked to take the rest of the band who are all dudes to strip joints in whatever town we'd go to. <laughs> that was just like her thing. And and we went to a strip joint in Charleston, West Virginia on a Tuesday afternoon. And I was mortified at the kind of people who would be willing to take off their clothes for money on a Tuesday afternoon in Charleston, <laughs> West Virginia. I mean, you know, we tipped well, but it, it was it, it was eye-opening and you know, kind of, kind of sad, actually. But, um, you know, it, it just depends on where you are. I mean, there's small towns, yeah. and places devoid of real culture in the north, too. Um, but, you know, it's, it's, it's an interesting way to see the world, you know, playing rock music. Um, yeah. You know, it's safer than joining the military, um, in my opinion. So I have what uh do you have any good uh, what are your experiences on the west coast if any oh yeah i played um basically the whole west coast from say seattle you know uh oregon california like uh sacramento san francisco la san diego so i mean i've i've covered the whole west coast um i haven't done a lot of um like wild west like say colorado nevada wyoming places like that but um, yeah, we've done the West Coast and it, it's great. You know, I mean, it, it's in the cities, people are savvy and cool and, you know, just like anywhere else. Um, LA is a weird town. I mean, to me, it's kind of like, you know, a big city that's the antithesis of New York. It's yeah, very car, you know, car centric. Um, and I can take about three days there before I kind of <laughs> want to get out. But, but like I've had only good experiences in LA anyway, but I have to limit my time there, I think. Yeah, uh, uh, my friends who either live in LA or, uh, you know, or have visited LA, it's like the same thing where it's just like, one of my friends, he actually just wants, he wants me to go out to LA with him for about a week just to have me experience the beast that is Los Angeles. And then I go. Yeah, so it's like, and then I have friends who have gone to LA, you know, for vacations. It's like, hey, you know, LA, it's you know, it's a very fun trip. But like, probably what you just said is like, there are people who who would probably just want to be there for at least a couple of days, or not like you know, more than a week, especially if you're just visiting. Uh, but then there are you know, I have friends and also guests who live in LA that essentially live there, and you know, they made it a lifestyle to live there, and God bless them because you know, it's like. Yeah, well, don't knock it till you try it. I mean, you should go. I mean, it's a beautiful, it's beautiful weather. Um, 
everyone there is beautiful quote unquote um I, I just think new york is a lot more real yeah you know new york people will say fuck you but at least they mean it you know um and that's kind of the difference um but you know la is great for music i mean it's very you know it depends on the industry too i mean if you're in tv or, or film you know it, it's yeah arguably more important than new york city um so you know sometimes you have to be there um but i would not knock the weather that's for sure yeah yeah if there's one thing i've learned about la it has fantastic weather it's like i i some of the i'd be uh, not close i'd be invest well not invested but well i'll be watching some of my friends the stories who live and when they live in la and it's like it's like 92 outside and it's like current and i'm we're already in i'm filming this in may and we finally just got like a a nice piece of like sunshine that's like close to 70 something like that and that's like high for new york weather yeah but, it's kind of like perfect though really yeah it's like perfect, especially after uh, a lousy winter where it's just like yeah cold 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 uh that, you know, that, uh, win- uh, not winter, uh, well, winter, but this weather in New York City is a whole different uh, uh, discussion altogether. Uh, yeah, well, I mean, there's variety, you know, I mean, there, you have four seasons, I mean, you can't, yeah, you know, that, that, uh, that's, that's what I know, and that's what I prefer. You know, so. Uh, so, how did you get into theater? Um, I know you, I know that you have mutual friends in theater, uh, Liz Cheney, a few others how did you, you know as i said before you know uh music and theater kind of like go hand in hand you know you can't have yeah. theater without music or and you can't have music without theater because you know it's like it's like the same thing with uh performing you know like the same thing as a singer you need to perform in front of the audience and in order to be in order to perform in front of the audience you need to have like some you know, like showmanship stuff like that uh how did you get into theater well, you know, like I was talking about earlier, you know, like going to college, you know, in my mid twenties, um, just because, you know, there were times, you know, in addition to playing music full time, where I had to like work some crappy day job, you know, to make ends meet when I wasn't on the road, and I just got kind of tired of that, you know, like just working some meaningless kind of job felt like a waste of time for me. So, um, I, t- I took four years, you know, at university, and. Um, yeah, I knew it would be performing arts. And I did take quite a few music classes, like music theory. Um, But really, my focus became theater. Um, It's funny, because in college, there was no sound design program, there was no, you know, sound design professor. And so, you know, being a musician and having interest in it and kind of applying, you know, the principles of design, you know, that I learned, especially lighting, because lighting and sound, you know, for those who aren't that theater savvy. I mean, lighting and sound really work kind of hand in hand in the theater world in a yeah. way. Um, and so I was able to take my musical knowledge and interest and, and then my training in other aspects of theater design and kind of apply it to uh, sound design. And so I ended up doing sound design for several plays while I was in college, just kind of like um, making it up but like not in a haphazard way i mean i made it up in a um you know a sensical way some you know measured sort of way and it turned out when i got into the professional world after college that i was doing the right thing i mean i'm I'm really lucky to have gone to college when i did in the mid 90s um, because i got to experience 
like a progression of sound design yeah. um, technology. So we started with open reel, um, quickly moved on to digital audio tape and mini disc and then audio samplers and then finally software um, and then a couple yeah. of different softwares at that. And so finally now, um, you know, QLab um, is kind of like the industry standard for, you know, programming sound design for theater. And, and that also applies to like, say, theme parks and, and, and other applications, but especially theater, QLab is kind of it. And it's to the point now where it's pretty straightforward, intuitive, like drop and drag sort of yeah. um, environment. Which, which I appreciate, but I mean, still there are, you know, very time-honored principles of sound design and music composition for theater and for film that, you know, you've got to think about and, and you know, create a world, an atmosphere, a mood. Yeah. Um, you know, keep momentum going. Um, you know, so so it's it's a satisfying, um, I say adjunct career, you know, like like to my music, and it's related too. So that that's the other cool thing is that one kind of feeds the other. I don't get bored doing any one of those things, you know. There's always yeah. something to look forward to in one facet or the other, except for <laughs> this past year of COVID, in which oh, there well, haven't been a lot we'll, of options yeah, for any of it. We'll, we'll definitely yeah. get to that, but uh, yeah, I imagine working with the, the, the new technology over the past uh, 20, 20, 25 years, I imagine it, you know, not only are sound cues or sound, you know, or sound design getting a lot more better, I imagine, it, you know, backing up your, pro, uh, backing up your original sound cues is a lot more efficient now because I imagine the, like, I'm not sure how you backed up the uh, sound cues, like back in like maybe 25 years ago, we had like, the real to rear thing where it's like I imagine it's just like literally uh, like the same thing with like videotape or like a uh, 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 oh um, like VHS or something or? not VHS uh, <laughs> I'm blanking on the thing and uh, it's um, not a track uh, well a track or oh like super eight like going back that far no 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 um it's the small thing here that you hold. Uh, it's like the, like that. This big. It's like, I mean, this big. It's like uh, you put it into the thing. Uh, I'm like, what a is, like a DVD. No, not a DVD. Um, <laughs> I feel like we're playing charades now. <laughs> it has like side A and side B. Like a laser disc, a, 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 a an LP, a vinyl LP, a cassette, tape. a cassette. Tape. There we go. Tape. Cassette tape. No I, no, I said v, uh, v, uh, VHS tape, but I was thinking of, uh, 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 I was thinking for some reason I was thinking VH, uh, VHS tape. Uh, okay. I'm thinking of like a radio, like actual tape tape, you know, tape players and stuff like, like that. Cassette tape. Yeah, yeah. Damn, cassette tapes. <laughs> right, I've still got drawers full of those things. Yeah, I, because I imagine like, and I imagined now it's like much more easier to back up the stuff that's on cassette tapes. There we go. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah. From cassette to digital, from vinyl yeah. to digital. I mean, you can do anything to digital now. Um, yeah, with 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 pretty with pretty good ease, you know. But there's still something about you know playing a record on a turntable, 
you know, it's the ritual of it, like opening up a big, you know, sleeve and pulling out a record and having to flip it. And, you know, I mean, I there's an audio quality that, you know, depending yeah, on your I was gear. I going to ask that with my next question, audio quality. When you have backed up something from, say, uh, vinyl or maybe even a cassette thing into digital, how is it compared to when something you had just done on a on regular computer program? Is it much more higher quality because of the of the tape or is it just or is it something that or is essentially the same quality just like uh minuscule down because it's now essentially additional copy theory if you're going from like say cassette tape or vinyl record to digital you know in, in theory as long as you're using like good cables and clean connectors and whatnot i mean like there's no going digital there's no degradation of quality you know, I mean, there shouldn't be. Um, it's like going digital to digital. There's no degradation now. It depends on what your settings are, like taking from an analog device yeah. to digital. But it, in theory, it should be the same. I mean, to okay. a listener especially. But, um, you know, as a kid, you know, I would dupe cassettes. So I'd have, you know, this cassette and I'd do like a mixed cassette on the next deck and I'd just be flipping cassettes in and recording on this one while I'm listening to this one. And, you know, whenever you go from analog to analog, there's always a degradation of, of quality. Yeah. And like the more, you know, the, you, then I take this one and I make a copy of this, you know, then that's one more step down in quality. So, you know, and same with taking a vinyl record and making a cassette recording of it. Um, but, but, you know, the thing with digital is that digital to digital at least should be you know the same it's an equal thing but you know i mean there are people that would argue like oh you know digital doesn't sound as good as analog and you know these days i you know i i can't really hear it if, if it's good quality it's good quality you know i mean that that's where i'm at on that i mean i, I like the ease and the um accessibility of digital audio i like to, to edit digitally yeah. i like to mix tape though too so i do like to use some analog and outboard gear when i'm you know creating my own music or recording my own stuff but yeah. um digital is is really sophisticated now and you can do a lot of really great sounding stuff with it so so you don't have like a uh, preference when it comes down to it whereas it's like as long as it sounds good and it gives me uh, like the cue or the music i need you know i'll, I'll use it because, yeah. because I was like, I'm pretty sure, because my uncle used to uh, tape a lot of stuff on uh, on cassette tapes, and and these are like stuff from like, I mean, from the 1980s, I, like I, I remember literally seeing, uh, I think it's like 1985 summer, uh, like summer, like summer hits or something like that. And I yeah. imagine it's like, if you play that, you know, the, the cassette now, it would probably sound pretty much like how it was like say from the 19, you know, like from 1985, but when you try and transfer over, it's probably gotta be like the same exact file, but you know, it might sound different because you just transferred it onto the computer, but it might just sound like different because you just transferred it onto the computer, but it just might sound same if you have like an ear for it, where it's just like, yeah, it's like, you know, I, I've, like I, I imagine like being able to essentially work from essentially different points of technology based things, especially in theater, where it's just like, you know, you 
you practically went through at least like maybe four generations worth of like tech like tech designs of like you know sure. you went through, it's like the same it's like you know you ran through like four generations of like what it is uh, working with like the best quality of sound engineering especially with you uh now I'm trying getting to the next question, which is essentially about Corona, but I don't want to go into it yet. Okay. I do like, I do want to know how did you get? You may have already answered this already, but how did you get into BMCC, like to work oh, as geez. an adjunct? So I, my um, my first professional theater job out of college was at Tribeca Performing Arts Center. So I was a stagehand there. And then, you know, lighting technician, um, an audio engineer there. And I, I worked there for several years. And that's really where I learned the ropes, like professionally and like how to, yeah. you know, work in a very fast paced professional theatrical environment. Because um, as you probably know, like Tribeca Performing Arts oh, yeah. has a lot of different stuff that comes in. Like every night of the week, it's, it's a new event. I mean, everything from children's theater to yeah. Chinese puppetry, Beijing opera, um, live jazz concerts with some of the top names in you know, music, um, film, um, yeah. circus, you know, I mean, like, you know, any number of things that come into that space. And, it, it, you know, the, there's such a variety of challenges that go with that and, and a lot of technical expertise that you've got to kind of learn or make up or um, glean from your co more experienced colleagues. Um, and so that, that was a great gig. Um, and from there, I went to Manhattan Theater Club. And I kind of forgot about Tribeca for a while. And it didn't have much of an association with BMCC at all. It's, it just happened that the Performing Arts Center is on the campus there. But uh, yeah, you know, at MTC, you know, I, I got more into the creative, like sound design aspect. And that's really what I sought to do. I mean, as a designer, you have to know that technical stuff too and i'm glad yeah. that i have you know years of technical experience under my belt because you if you're gonna spec or design a sound system which is part of sound design that's the not so creative part that's really the technical and practical part but you've got to understand like how things work how things sound how things are put together like how a speaker gets from the floor you know to yeah 60 feet in the air you know yeah. that kind of thing you know because i've done it and so you've got to know what people have to do to execute your design basically or at least the part that's not um executable by yourself you know like you have to still you know do the paperwork and envision you know the speaker plot and the audio flow and all that and then have somebody yeah. communicate to them so that they can have it set up for you and ready to go so that then you can do your creative work um and then after Manhattan Theater Club, um, you know, I, I was allowed to design a couple shows there, um, started assisting designers that I like Broadway designers that I met there. And then finally um, branched out on my own. I've been totally independent ever since. And then um, Elizabeth Cheney, who you mentioned earlier, she was yeah. a, a really good friend of mine. We did a lot of like off off Broadway downtown theater oh, in like the late 90s, early 2000s. And so she after she had her daughter she decided to use her mfa and um you know pursue a tenureship at a college which happened to be bmcc and um you know she brought me in 
you know, as a professor and, you know, it was a really good experience for me. I mean, it was never my full-time job there. And I don't know if I could ever be a full-time college professor, honestly. Um, I think it'd be, I think, I think it's hard work, you know, and it's oh, yeah. something that you've got to have kind of like a singular passion for in a way. I mean, like you, you've got to declare, I think pretty much like I am a college professor, I'm, I'm an educator first and foremost. And, and that has never been my first and foremost goal or, um, profession but um as a professional who brings in my expertise to hopefully excite students and expose them to you know things that i find interesting and essential i mean i i think it's it was a really good time for me and i did that for seven years i just taught one um audio production and sound design practicum class there and um yeah, it was, it was really good for me. And I, I learned a lot, you know, like my, my students, you know, as a student, you think your professor has all the answers and I'll tell you this secret, <laughs> they don't. Um, and I think that's okay to admit that. Um, yeah, it's and fine. sometimes you it's find to admit that you're kind of like just making it up as we go along. It's like, yeah, well, I mean, some, some, I mean, you got to know something as yeah. a professor. I mean, you, you have to profess something. But, you know, the thing is, in theater too, like endeavor and create a field that you haven't encountered before. That's why it's creative yeah. because you have to make up solutions. You have to make something from nothing. And here we are doing theater, which is um, traditionally an underfunded endeavor. And then yeah. here we are at a community college, which is also <laughs> kind of like, you know, in a theater program. So really it's like, that's the magic of, of theater is that you, you make something from nothing literally yeah. sometimes. And, it, and that to me, that's exciting. And I like sharing that with students. And, you know, I, I learned, I learned a lot myself from my students, you know, I mean, I, they would ask me questions that would kind of blow my mind and I'd say, well, let's figure this out together. Or we'd have challenges for a production together that we needed to satisfy. And we'd come to those creative answers as a as a team you know and it was it was a really good experience uh you may hear it in the in the background folks i'm uh, i apologize but there's an ice cream truck in somewhere in addition so, ah. so, so i like, wish i could just reach through the screen brian and grab an ice cream somewhere but yeah uh that's why i had to like mute myself for a couple of seconds to try and close the window but Oh, that's cool I, that's, I, you know that's a sound that's a sound effect that i don't mind hearing quite honestly <laughs> Yeah, uh, it's like you know it's you know it's almost summer or about to be summer when the ice cream truck just comes out of nowhere and just like, yeah. ice but I did mention. And then you, yeah, I was like, then uh, you can't resist. You're called to it. But you're but saying, I, yeah, but yeah, I mentioned Corona because in conjunction to uh, Corona, I did want to like bring up uh, BMCC because I know BMCC has been, uh, I don't want to say struggling, but at least they're doing the best as, as they could with uh, uh, putting on productions, essentially main stage productions in the midst of a pandemic. And it's a little, it's hard to see you know a lot of great stuff that they're trying that they're doing, and they and you just and you just can't go see it for yourself because you know it's a pandemic and you know they have rules of you know having X amount of people or no people at all. So it's like a, it's only the it's only uh, 
essential staff or in cash. So there's no uh, paying customers to see that. So, uh, and so from your professional standpoint, how bad has this year been for you as both of oh, I mean, ter- like the worst it's been, the, I can't even begin to tell you how bad it's been. I mean, so I, I have not quote unquote worked since March, 2020, um, you know, no theater jobs whatsoever. Now I've done, oh gosh, some workshop sort of stuff in a zoom environment like this with a cast and a director and, and try to contribute sound design. That's very difficult and frustrating. And, and of course we adapt and, do what we can, but um, there's nothing like, you know, I mean, theater is supposed to be live, performed live, shared with an audience live. And this, what we do is the opposite of social distancing. So I haven't set foot in a theater. Oh gosh, I haven't designed a show since 2019, which is crazy. And it, it's, you know, likely that I won't design another show until 2022, which will be like the longest drought by far of my career. Um, my dad died of COVID this past June. I'm sorry. Um, Thanks. Um, you know, it, it, it's, I'm just mentioning that because, yeah, it's real and it, it, it affects people in a lot of very serious and profound ways. And um, so, so it's personally been, you know, devastating, professionally been devastating. Um, and, you know, I mean, BMCC is, is no exception, you know, like, or they're not the only ones who have, have had to yeah. deal with this, like all theaters are dealing with this. Um, as a musician, I know so many venues have gone under, like they've closed for good. Um, you know, and it's, it's really tough. Um, I don't know how any of these arts organizations, performing arts primarily, you know, are surviving because um, it's just impossible to have yeah. audiences and have shows. So, um, you know, and I, I've seen, some stuff online um with varied success you know as, as far as you know virtual productions go but like i said like watching a theater production on the small screen you know is different than what theater does best which is it's live in front of you on a stage and so you know it, it, it's I'm, I'm glad people are still doing it as as much and as best they can, you know, under the circumstances. Yeah. And I, I really look forward to returning, but you also were artists and it seems to me, you know, maybe the arts community is more responsible, you know, yeah. maybe we're really tapped into the human condition in such a way that like we, we, we bear a, a bigger burden than a lot of others because we do the right thing because we're, we know what the consequences are if we don't, and, and so we're, you know, protecting ourselves, we're protecting our colleagues, we're protecting our audiences. Yeah. And um, it, it's been tough, but, um, you know, th- there have been grants and other aid out there that I and others, you know, in the profession have been able to tap into and make ends meet. Um, one of the highlights, you know, even though this was <laughs> frankly a total shit year um, for me um, on a lot of levels, um, this year, I, after playing, geez, in, in over 20 years with like 20 different bands, I decided to finally record my debut solo album, uh, which I did um, in yeah. complete coronavirus circumstances. And you know, I released it in August and got a lot of good reviews, a lot of international radio airplay. 
um here it is here's the cd Woo! Uh, my head's exploding and those of you who know liz cheney her daughter actually uh did the illustration so my best friend's daughter did the cover illustration nice for the record um yeah i'm really happy with that um and in fact right now i'm, I'm in the pro process of uh finishing up my second solo album so i will have recorded and released two full-length solo records <laughs> during coronavirus so you know i feel like at least um i was creatively productive um, yeah. and uh, awake and alert and alive and um producing music and I'm, I'm proud of that i mean it wasn't easy um you know i've been traveling a lot back and forth between the midwest and new york city um, the, the studio I record in is in the Hudson Valley. And then my wife has been with her mom up in Western Massachusetts. So like uh, it's been a lot of back and forth. Um, so I'm grateful for the opportunity to travel, but it's still weird because I just feel like I'm, I'm in my mom's house then I'm in the car, then I'm in my apartment in New York, then I'm in the car, then I'm in the studio, then I'm in my car, then I'm in Massachusetts. With my wife you know yeah, it's, like, it's like i mean these little bubbles like bubble to bubble just because we're trying to be really careful but you know everybody's double vaccinated now so that's a that's a good thing step in the right direction and um you know it's starting to feel a little less on edge about things but you know it's still it's it's uncertain to me when exactly the industry is going to return and you know when it does return how long is it going to be until we're back to where we were you know where it's yeah 100 um and, and same with music so it, it's it's tough it's been tough um if movie theaters have been showing us a change is that people really do want to go back to the movies and i i don't doubt that the first night on broadway when it officially reopens and people are in there's like as many people are in there they're watching the show, I imagine the first performance to whatever musical is opening up first, say it's like Hamilton or, um, yeah, let's just say Hamilton for a second. Okay. I imagine after the first song, after that first song hits, there's probably got a wave of applause because uh, yeah, it's, sure. it's probably because no one has heard live theater music in like over, like close to like a year and a half now. Well, yep. by the time, like by the time, because they're, I just read just like, oh, Broadway's gearing up for a September uh, start date or, you know, start date to go back to work or something like that. And that was like the, and that was the plan like last year was essentially try and go back to work by September, but, but there was no vaccines available, but yeah, I mean, there was a vaccine available, but they were still in the process of creating that, but it, it's, like I imagine the first performance of whatever musical opens up that night, the first performance, there's probably gotta be a loud uh, thunderous applause after the first song. And oh, then sure. after, like and then once that once they do curtain calls, like the same thing, they'll just gonna be like the, the same thunderous applause. Uh, you know, like especially if you're just going to see a play, you know, uh, there's probably gotta be a lot, you know, like and this is and this is the weird thing about both music, I mean, both theater and going to movies, is that you know when you go to movies, you want to be entertained for a couple hours. And the same thing with theater is like when you go to see a theater show, even if it's a musical, you want to be entertained for a few hours, and you just lose yourself 
into to whatever story you're going to see, even if it's a story like Beauty That's and the Beast. That's the plan. Yeah, even if it's a story <laughs> like Beauty and the Beast, a tale, a tale as old as time, and you just immerse yourself with, it, with these characters and stories, and then, you know, later you just want to go and buy the merchandise or something like that. You know, not only are you supporting the theater, but you're also supporting the people behind the theater. So it definitely feels like people, and, and the weird thing is that, and this relates back to what you said before, it's like, there's just something about the people and the arts itself that are much more connected to the human emotion or at least the human <laughs> the, the human being spirit. Because if you ever want to meet people who are really real, go into the arts business and meet people who work behind the scenes because actors yeah. to be very, because actors to be very real but sometimes at the actor's realness could be like very you know how much are they uh putting up a facade and how much are they just being like actually real but the people who are really real people who work behind the scenes like you know stage managers ushers sound cue people um designers uh, stage hands you know people who really do work the business and you know and it's like you said before, there's just something about people who work in the art business who are just like emotionally or just like emotionally more linked to everyone, where it's like they just understand people's problems. And I, I and it's like the same thing. Well, yeah, it's, like, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a community first and foremost. I mean, in theater, people understand each other because it is a community. It's a very small community. And, um, you know, it's like not everyone understands what we do, although they understand what we all do, you know, when we're not. Yep. Um, when we're, you know, they don't see everything that goes into it. Um, but, you know, I, I, I'd have to say too that actors are some of the most real people I've met. I mean, I've worked with a lot of like really famous actors over and then not just like with anyone you work with in theater, you know, you're very close while the production, you know, you're working together on and then you go on to the next production and you might lose touch or, you know, forget about each other for a while or forever even. But, you know, when you're together, I mean, you never really worked with an actor, you, any big name that had an ego any bigger or, you know, had an attitude any um, worse or, or privileged than, say, an usher, you know, I mean, it's like you're, yeah. you're together when you're doing this now. You know, when you've got fans, I mean, that's a different sort of dynamic, a, a star and a fan. That's that's a certain relationship. But when you're like co-workers, you know, even though you might have a star and then some schlub that's me designing, sound, <laughs> composing music. I mean, you're still working together and it's it's like a small family and it's it's actually a really cool um, thing. And then the, the, the sadness of it and the beauty of it at the same time is that, you know, the family splits up and then you start yeah. a new family on a new production and you know, it goes on and on for your career and you know when i was in college you know the actors would cry on closing night and oh you know it's, it'll never be like this again and you know i mean 
I, I can't disparage or belittle that either. Um, there, there's something really sweet, you know, when I'm in college and, and you know, it is, it's in a way it's like breaking up or moving yeah. on, but you know, that it's okay to do that. And then it makes you stronger. And, and that's another experience. And there's another group of people that you've worked with. And, you know, that's, that's the other beauty of working in, in, in this business is that after a while, you get your next job because of who you know, you know, yeah. and if you have a really good experience, good work ethic, good chemistry, you know, then these people want to work with you or you want to work with them again in the future. And so that leads to good things. And that's why I'm optimistic about, you know, when this returns, you know, I'll land on something. A lot of us will, you know, get back to it. Um, you know, but it's, it's also, we've come this far and I know a lot of people are really impatient. But yeah, you know, I, think... I mess up a good thing. I mean, we're moving in the right direction and let's just <laughs> wait till it's, you know, really safe and no one's going to get hurt. Yeah, uh, I apologize for any buffering in the, in your, in my uh, thing right now, but uh, mm. my bandwidth was a little slow right now. So on uh -oh. my end, it was just like very choppy and all that stuff. So, so you sounded like, uh, like that's basically yeah, like that. Like awesome. <laughs> Okay. Uh, it, it probably doesn't help that my uh, family's watching something outside, so it's like, uh oh. So it's like the the bandwidth is just being like, who's more important, the person, the people watching, <laughs> or no Brian? Respect. I tell but, you. Uh, but I now you did you did mention your uh, solo work, your solo album. Uh, I do, and I did want to have people actually hear the thing before because it sounded very good before. Do you want to show, I mean, do you want us, yeah. now will be a good time to. <laughs> I'll play the damn thing. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, so let me, I'm going to take over the screen here. I'm going to take over your whole show. No, 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 that's okay. Uh, so, before... so here's, my, here's my website. Come visit me here. All things, my music and my theater stuff. Um, there's the website address. And if it's is the audio version, it's chrispie.com, C-H-R-I-S-P-E-I.com. And I'm going to go over here to where the record lives. This is the first solo record um, called Submission. And the, the title is kind of touched because of COVID and, you know, the fool's errand of, you know, mission of making art, I guess. Yeah you know, in the time of COVID and what's going to happen to, you know, and so and the, the title track is also really just based on a really bad work in a tour. So it's, it's a tongue in cheek thing. It's not a literal suicide. So don't be concerned, friends. Yeah. Um, uh, I'm just going to play the first song on the record, Madrid, or a little bit of it. And, and um, Madrid just happens to be my favorite city. So here it is. Where the sun I'm 
that's just a little sample of the first track. Um, yeah, I was like, if any more, any, any, I feel like any more, I would, any more seconds of you playing the song, I would be like, okay, now I would have to pay him royalties for the playing the song. Your head would explode just like, like me yeah, in the cover, yes. wouldn't it? Okay. So I do <laughs> um, have a question. Uh, how did you, uh, and like you said before, uh, both this album and the album that's coming up uh, were made during your time in lockdown. Uh, yeah. How did you come up with the idea of doing a solo album? Just because I couldn't do any music projects with any bands that I'm associated with, you know, at present, like we just couldn't get together, you know, I mean, it was impossible, you know, I mean, there's just no way to social, socially distance and play music together in a live situation, in a studio situation. Yeah, I have I've done some virtual collaboration, but, um, you know, it's not the same as, as playing in a room with people. And so this album, really, it's all me except for drums um, and, and backing vocals. And basically my friend, I, I played in um, Todd Guadis, who, whose studio this is. I, I play in his band um, among other bands. And so he owns a recording studio in the Hudson Valley. And so it made sense for me to work out of this space and it's basically it's an old converted barn you know it's really oh, wow. beautiful like super high ceilings and it's, it's very spacious so everything you hear on the record is the room uh, you know you like you can add artificial reverb after the recording after the fact and post-production but part of the beauty of this is the room just sounds so good and it's set up in such a way that you're able to capitalize on the sound of the room and yeah. um so it was just the two of us and so even in the the worst days of COVID, you know, he's behind the drum kit. He's able to hit go on his recording rig, you know, and I'm standing on the other side of the room with headphones on. And, um, you know, we, we don't have to be in cl close proximity. And um, there's even, even a place for me to crash there. So because I'm traveling long distance um, at this time, you know, I, I can live and work out of this space you know, still remain socially distanced and it's just two people yeah. making all this music anyway. So it, it was a really, really good collaborative um, situation, good uh, work environment for me and um, somebody I really trust personally and musically. And um, so that's why the second record now, um, I'm, I'm you know, working with Todd again in the same yeah. space. So this seemed like a winning sort of combination. And so, um, yeah, and so making the solo records was just be the desire to keep producing music, yeah, but not being able to do so with a band. And so, what else do you do but you know, now, come up with a solo record? Was it hard to come up with song ideas, or was it just like, eh, like again, this is like a very fairly I didn't, question? I didn't write them all at once. I mean, a lot of artists, a lot of bands. You know, if you have a band. You probably don't want to go into a studio until you have an album's worth of record you know an album's worth of songs you know and then you bang them out in a few days and then you work on mixes and overdubs and all that but um with with this record you know i i'd, I'd write like maybe two songs at a time hmm. spend two days in the studio work on a song a day and, and part of the concept part of part of my concept for this record which is it's a different way of making a record than what I'm used to because like I described before like usually as a band you come in everything's written and very well rehearsed and you just bang it out this I, I would write two songs 
I wouldn't even have all the parts written. I'd have like the guitar, the melody, hopefully all the lyrics. And I come in the studio, I teach Todd the song, I'd play guitar and he would come up with the drum part and then like, okay, I like that, let's do that. And then we'd track guitar and drums. I'd sing a scratch vocal. Then we, I would go back and write a bass part, write a guitar solo, write other rhythm guitars. Yeah sing then he would sing backing vocals maybe add a little more percussion and so that became a process and part of my another part of my mo for this record unlike the luxury of you know non-covid times when you can take more time with it and spend more time together in a room is, is that i wanted to like do one song in a day like like we're going to get everything done with this song in one day and that's it that's the deadline so you know the first time Todd ever heard the song was the same day that we finished the song. Um, hmm. So he had to write a drum part, you know, come up with vocal harmonies and stuff. So it was a very intense, you know, seemingly, it seems like it would be stressful, but it wasn't like we work really good under pressure. I guess that's the thing is pressure is different than stress. You can still be great yeah. under pressure, but um, it was like a song a day. What's that? Diamonds are made under pressure. So. <laughs> that's right. Hey, there you go. But um, if I've learned yeah, so anything, college. Is it, is it? But this is a totally different way than what any record I've ever made has been done, and what I've ever heard of anyone else doing. And and so it worked so well for the first one that I just decided to keep it going for the second. Like I said, hmm. I, I'd only have like I'd only come into the studio with like a couple songs at a time written. I wouldn't know what the next couple songs are going to be. And now finally with the second record, yeah. I'm on my final two songs for that. So you know this is it for this record coming up um i'll be recording next week as a matter of fact uh the huh. first week in uh in terms of promotion uh do you see yourself getting a music video out there or do you or do you think music video um, or more I, I would i would love to do some video stuff but I, you know again that's another collaborative endeavor i mean with the music I'm, I'm doing the music in the way that i envision doing the music i mean i'm calling the shots i'm saying this is the way it's going to go this is how we're going to do it and i'm happy with the results with a video you know i i would have to have a collaborator on that you know like i've got ideas maybe but like i need somebody who can actually execute it but you know that sort of stuff takes time and i also want to put my best i guess in a video situation my best face forward you yeah. know and I, I want it to look good and i want to have you know some creative control over it and you know i i only want to put out stuff that i'm proud of and i'm really happy with so you know that's something that's down the line when i can work with other people you know like a yeah. larger groups than just like a, a duo for example so yeah, that's in the works especially you know, and it, too. yeah i mean and as far as promotion too i mean like this is the first time for, for this first solo record, which I'll carry on through the second, where I've done everything. And so it's not just the songwriting, the performance, but it's also, you know, like hiring artists. So getting getting the artwork done, um, getting like a, like pre-orders, so like crowdfunding the record. Yeah. I'm also getting stuff to press. You know, I've done a lot of interviews for magazines and newspapers and blogs. Um, getting stuff to radio stations and podcasts um and you know i haven't even booked a gig yet so i feel yeah. like i've run, I've run a marathon but it's also been for me you know as the is the proverbial professor student you know it's been a really great learning experience for me because i've never had to do 
all of the tasks associated with putting a record out like yeah. you know usually if you're in a band you divide and delegate tasks you know everybody has like their own thing they're going to do and what i've also realized is that perhaps <laughs> my various bandmates over the years weren't really doing what they were assigned to do because i feel like i've had in some ways a greater degree of success with this record than i've had with like bigger bands that i've played with yeah um, just just for having done it myself and like taking the responsibility and the ownership of it and um you know managing all facets of it and so it's it's there, there's a it's it's like theater there's a lot of behind the scenes quote unquote work that you have to do just to put a record out and to to have yeah. it do anything so um yeah it's, it's been um a good experience and and i've had the time to do it this year so that that's the one thing that's made this possible is you know you know you've got the situation so what are you going to do with it and so that's what i did with it uh i think for the most part that's a good way to end this interview or yeah interview and episode uh normally i would have three questions left but you kind of like already answered two of those questions one which was like social media and you kind of plugged your own website and your band camped uh definitely check out the links below uh you promoted an upcoming release which is essentially your I mean, not only upcoming release, which is the, the other album, but also you already promoted an album they already did. Right. Uh, but my other question that's fa it's fairly easy is, do you have any advice to those who are watching and, uh, and to those who are essentially expiring art, uh, musicians, aspiring musicians, say, song uh, songwriters, singers, even if they are just like a guitarist, something like that? You said this is going to be an easy question. Yeah, <laughs> I guess it was an easy question. I don't know if it's an easy answer. <laughs> I, you know, as far as songwriting, anything new for me, like I've written songs before and collaborated as a songwriter before, but this is the first time I've ever had to like write every song on a record or records. And I, I, th I think the most useful thing for me has been writing from experience. It's like the song we heard, the part of Madrid. You know, I was, I've been to Madrid. I love Madrid. I'm writing about a place I know and love. And I'd have to say, I'm, I'm kind of looking in the background at the track list on the first record. And like every single one of those songs on that record, and, and even on the second record, every one of those songs is based on direct experience. You yeah. know, it isn't like, they're not trite. You know, now people might not, some people might not like them. It's not their cup of tea. That's cool. But the thing is, I, as a songwriter, as a lyricist, like I am trying not to write something generic and even necessarily accessible by everyone. I know that's kind of like the opposite of what you'd want to do if, if you were, yeah. like, say, oh, somebody really old, Phil Collins, or tell me somebody new who's cheesy like Phil Collins, although Phil Collins is brilliant. Quick, quick, quick. Damn, but, like just a pop pop songwriter like everybody knows and loves and digs and you can sing along with it. Yeah, okay be. yeah great but you know it's like i can't write like that i mean it, it, to write something that simple and seemingly trite and universal and just hey baby i love you yeah yeah, yeah. i mean like <laughs> I, I can't do that i mean I, it's just not in me and so it, in a way it's like harder to like pull something out of you that is in you but 
at least it's something that I've experienced and other people might not necessarily understand it the same way I do, but that's cool. You know, it's like, it's, it doesn't, you don't have to understand it, just go along for the ride. And um, so that's why I'd say just, just make it experiential. I think that's the, for me, the most successful way to write a lyric is from firsthand experience. And I think that's a great uh, advice to do, especially if you're a musician or what have you, even if you are a songwriter or a singer, go from experience because people who are musicians are like their greatest strength or stuff of, you know, our stuff that what they written in experience, especially if uh, like Phil Collins, who you just mentioned before, uh, some of his best, best work is haunting because it's stuff that he was going through. Like he was going through a nasty divorce and, right. and his songs really uh, affected, uh, you know, affected that notion of this is what he's thinking about rather than what he's trying to like emote and stuff like that. So yeah. uh, definitely, even if you're a writer, always go with stuff that you know, but also just go from experience. And experience, I think, is like key enough. Yeah, experience is key just to be on a safe side, especially as an actor or what have you and as a performing artist. But yeah, Christopher. Chris, thank you for being a guest on today's uh, episode. Again, sorry about those who are watching on the video format. It won't appear jumbled up on the audio format, but those who are watching the video, I'm sorry for the uh, lack of connection that just like, like suddenly just starts like going down. Like it, it gets to a point where it's like, as Chris is talking, his face is just frozen, but, and then suddenly his face, like his face just becomes a little like less hasty and just like very shrunk together and all that stuff. So it's like, again, I, I apologize. Appealing, I was, it was striking an appealing pose or, facial expression at the time i don't know um but yeah brian thanks so much and um i i'm them everything they know but of course you know that's not true and i'm glad that you took it and ran with it and are doing thank you i cool actually stuff. so um i actually look forward to seeing you in person sometime soon but thank you again and yeah thanks for being part of the show and take care please be safe